Well, welcome everyone. For those of you here in person or tuning in online, we're so excited and thankful that you're a part of our extended family here at Centennial Road. We are uh, midway through some tech upgrades internally here, so we're, we're working through a variety of things, and it's an awesome opportunity that we're able to, for you, our online, online audience, continue to invest in that and help you connect with us, even though you're not physically present with us in this space. Kids, age three to grade three, I'm dismissing you right now into the boulevard, including nursery up to age three, happening right through to Detour Alley. It's going to be awesome. And here's the fun part, as Pastor Roger shared a little bit earlier. We are using Big City Studio today, so not just in the boulevard. It'll be all the way up on our second floor, and we're excited about that. So parents, if you're wondering where your kids are, please meet them up there after our service so that you can pick them up, and we will make sure that they go home with the right people. Sound good? Yes. Okay, kids online. Get your favorite snack, if it's chocolate or candy or marshmallows, whatever it is, go, go to centennialroad.com and you can view kids' ministry content right from our homepage as well, so you can participate with what your friends are doing here in person also. I'm going to take you back to the year 2019, before this whole pandemic thing, before the wearing of masks, all this wonderful thing that we were living in, 2019, something was happening in our country Maybe you remember it had, a, had something to do with basketball and a team called the Toronto Raptors. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Some of you do, and the rest of you are staring at me blankly, and that's okay. It was when, for the first time in the history of the National Basketball Association, a, a team outside of the continental U.S. won the championship, the, the James Naismith Trophy. It was a wonderful thing. I've got a friend of mine, his name is Matt. Matt was a fan day one from when the Raptors entered the league. He knows who was drafted when, what trades went down, who was the best coach, who was the best general manager, all this stuff. And as the playoffs were progressing for the Raptors in 2019, I would be texting Matt and say, hey, Matt, what should I be paying attention to? What should I get involved with? And he's like, Jason, if you've never watched basketball before, now is the time. Because these guys are doing something amazing, you'll want to remember it forever. So I took them up on that. I decided to tune in for a playoff game. And wouldn't you know, that's when the shot happened. If you know what I'm talking about, it is the moment in history when this team finally became um, something that we could cheer for. And we thought maybe they would go all the way to, to the championship. It happened in overtime. A player by the name of Kawhi Leonard did an unbelievable last-minute crazy shot, acrobatic style, and it actually went in. And it progressed and allowed the Toronto Raptors to move into the second round or the next round of the playoffs over the Philadelphia 76ers. That was the moment in time that I was like, okay, I'm going to become a fan of this playoff run. And sure enough, they didn't disappoint. They won the whole thing. It's an awesome memory for me. And maybe for you, if you have a similar memory. Did you know there's a difference between being a fan and a friend? There's a stark difference between being a fan and being a friend. 
being somebody that's a part of something for a moment and being somebody that's a part of something for a lifetime. That's what we're going to learn here today. If you've got a Bible with you, we're going to dive into Matthew chapter 21. I'll be reading the first 11 verses, and together we're going to learn about what does it mean to be a fan? What does it mean to be a friend? What are the differences between those two? So let's, let's follow along together in Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse number 1. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage, on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you are doing, just say, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him, and they threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession. And the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was up was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? they asked. And the crowds replied, It's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. There's two big things that we need to be aware of before we dig further into this text just from a background setting perspective, so we understand all of the idiosyncrasies that are going on here. It has to do with a, a place and a person. So let's start with the place. The place is Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the major city in ancient Israel. It's still a city in Israel today. Jerusalem was the epicenter of Jewish culture, the Israelite community, the focal point of everything happening if you wanted to be a vendor of vendors, wanted to be a great business person, you wanted to be doing business in and through Jerusalem. You wanted to be in that space. Everybody knew where it was. Everybody would go to it periodically because not only was it the cultural epicenter of the community, it was also the spiritual epicenter of the then known nation of Israel. That's where they believed the presence of God dwelt. There was a massive structure there called the temple, and the temple was built to house God's presence. Periodically throughout the year, people were invited to participate in spiritual pilgrimages or spiritual retreats of some kind on their way from wherever they lived in the surrounding region into Jerusalem so that they could be a part of these celebrations, these feasts and festivals and you name it. They all had an intentional design and purpose, every single one of them. So periodically throughout the year, if you were living in Jerusalem, you were preparing for an onslaught of people to come into your space. If you're a business person, if you had rooms to rent out, you were like, all right, this is going to be a good payday. More money, more people to buy from us to help us sustain our livelihood and our family right here in the real world in real time. That was Jerusalem, the epicenter, the heartbeat of a nation. That is what it was. But in addition to that, there's a king. The king is a person, somebody that this nation of Israel would have been 
waiting for for a very long time. You see, at this point in time, when we've read this story, the nation of Israel was actually subject to the rule of the Roman Empire. What's unique about the Roman Empire is they didn't always come in and obliterate all sorts of leadership structures that were pre-existent before their rule. They would just come in and be over top of them. So in the Jewish community, they were allowed to keep their elders in place and different uh, judges and, and you name it, Sadducees, Pharisees, all their structures intact as long as they all would submit to the overall authority of the Romans. So everything that they would do had to be under Roman rule. All the taxes that were collected went to the Romans first, and whatever was left over could be shared among the pre-existing structure. So these people, these Israelites, they were waiting desperately for a king that was prophesied about, which means spoken about before in before it happened. So way in the future, before it was going to happen, somebody talked about it and wrote about it. And in their scriptures, there were a whole bunch of references to this coming king that would free them from all the things that were oppressing them. Now they interpreted that to mean that whatever king was coming would be the ultimate warrior who would overthrow the Roman Empire politically, but also in uh, military might as well. They were expecting, they had a, a framework for a king that was going to be so much more than what they thought was possible right now in that moment. There was an expectancy there. For over 400 years, they were waiting to be delivered. 400. Jesus shows up on the scene. He sends two of his friends ahead to get a donkey and its colt that are tied up. And they go and they do so. And Jesus says, if anybody gives you any trouble, don't worry. Just let them know that the Lord needs them. Or in other words, the king is coming and they'll let you go. The disciples bring back these two donkeys to Jesus. He gets on them and he starts riding into the city. And that is when the party and the parade starts happening. Everybody's exciting because everything they thought what wouldn't happen maybe even in their lifetime is seemingly taking place right in front of them. But the truth is, is they stepped into one of two categories, intentionally or unintentionally. They either became a fan or a friend in the moment. So why don't we look at three different differences between what it means to be a fan and what it means to be a friend from this particular story in the life of Jesus. The first is this. Fans are generated by momentum. Friends are generated through relationship. Fans are generated by momentum. Friends are generated through relationship. This whole scene is unfolding. What's important to know is like this is, a, they didn't have Twitter or social media. This was an oral based culture. So a lot of these people in the city at the time and the people traveling to this city may have heard already about Jesus. He had a three-year kind of ministry run in the region where he was seeing people that were blind previously have their sight restored. He was seeing people that were relationally broken, brought back into relationship. He was seeing people be, who were hungry be fed miraculously in some way. All these different things were happening in and through the life of Jesus, and the stories would leak out into the region. 
People would talk about, oh my goodness, can you believe that this guy who says he's a prophet is doing these amazing things? I wonder, I wonder what is going on here. Are we living through history right now? All this stuff is going on, and all of a sudden he's riding in on a donkey and it's cold, and anybody who knew what the, what the ancient texts said about a coming king knew that this was a signal that things are about to change. There was this expectancy that something miraculous was about to happen because these people or this person was, was doing something that was talked about way previous in ancient scriptures. So they were doing what maybe we'd all do when we see somebody show up, a celebrity of some kind. Like, let's say Justin Bieber shows up and is at Blockhouse Island here in Brockville. Maybe we're going to go get our, our groove on with the Biebs at Blockhouse. I don't know. We're going to go gravitate towards there. Say hi. Take a photo. We wanted that moment. See, fans are generated through momentum. Lots of these people started flooding the street and going, oh, my goodness. I want to participate in something amazing. What is happening? What's going on? I'm curious if all the people who were there in that gathered crowd actually knew who Jesus was. Or were they just caught up in the momentum of everything happening around them? Were they just caught up in the, uh, the flavor of the day? The excitement of the moment? There's a difference between being a fan and being a friend. A fan is generated through momentum, but a friend is generated through relationship. See, a friend is somebody who's willing to stand with you in every moment of your life, not just in the good moments of your life. This very same gathered group of people, fast forward to the end of the, this week, the last days of Jesus, and some of those people, perhaps even a majority of them, were in another crowd that was gathered. And that other crowd that was gathered wasn't cheering Jesus on anymore. They were actually cheering and hoping and praying, in some cases, that this Jesus guy who they celebrated at the beginning of the week would be killed instead. See, that's the difference between being a fan or a friend. A friend is going to stand with Jesus in that moment of crisis. A friend is going to be like, nope, I'm out. I was just here for the momentum. I don't have a relationship. Here's a second difference between being a fan or being a friend. A fan is chasing a thrill. A friend is chasing commitment. A fan is chasing a thrill. A friend is chasing a commitment. Do you remember the very first time that somebody told you you were cute? Do you have that moment, that memory? Do you have that in your space? You'll be like, I remember where I was, what I was wearing, who said it to me. It was glorious. Maybe some of you are like, there's been too many to remember. So I'm having a hard time picking just one. Fans are all about the thrill, the story, the opportunity. They wanted to be there when this happened. How many of you remember the very first day Neil Armstrong stepped onto the moon for the first time? Do you know where you were? I know where I was. I wasn't born yet. But it still happened. Do you remember where you were when they locked us in for the first time in this lockdown? Do you remember where you were 
when you got that present that you are always wanting and hoping that somebody would get you for your birthday or for Christmas? Fans are all about the thrill. They're the thrill seekers. Friends aren't. Friends are looking for something beyond that. They're looking for a commitment. At the end of Jesus' life, he's hanging on a cross, dying an absolutely horrific death. Do you know how many people are left there? Four. And one of them is his mom. Your mom should always be in your corner. Your mom could be your friend, but come on. You got your mom and three other people? That's it? How many of us, how many of us operate too often as thrill-seeking fans in our pursuit of Jesus or in our pursuit of relationships in general instead of looking for commitment? See, commitment goes like, you know what? I'm in it through the thick and the thin. I'm in it when it's really easy to be in and when it's really hard to be in. You want to know if you have fans or friends following you? When your life starts to fall apart, who's going to sit with you right in the ashes? Those are your friends. Those are the people who actually believe in you. Everybody else is just a fan. Everybody else is just in it for themselves in that moment. Because friends are only in it for a thrill, but fans, sorry, fans are only in it for the thrill, but friends are in it for commitment for a lifetime. Third really quick point. Friends are fickle. Sorry, fans are fickle. Friends are forever. Fans are fickle. Friends are forever. It's easy to be a fan of something. It's easy to hop in when your team is doing well and cheer them on. Yay, I'm a fan. It's more challenging when things aren't going the way that you intended. When things are more difficult. When the promises that were promised to you in relationship aren't being fulfilled in the way you thought they would be. When you're having to wait far too long for something good to happen. I had a supervisor one time back in the day who used to sign off all of his emails to me saying, I'm a fan of your future. Well, it just so happens that one time I started to generate some civil unrest, let's call it that. And because of this civil unrest, it began to strain some things relationally. And this very same supervisor who was saying to me, I am a fan of your future. In that moment, his true colors were revealed. He became a friend of me. You know what a frenemy is? It's somebody, it's a fan disguised as a friend. It's a fan disguised as a friend. Somebody you think you can count on, but then when you really need to count on somebody, they aren't there. They're on the other side, picking up a big boulder, hoping to roll it down and squash you. It's a frenemy. Far too often in our own lives, in our pursuit of Jesus, we exhibit, you and I, fan-like tendencies instead of friend-like tendencies. Fan-like tendencies. What do they look like? What do you pray for? When you're praying in your relationship with Jesus, what are you asking for? Are you asking for stuff? 
Are you asking for things and breakthroughs and, and all those things? In and of itself, it's not bad, but is that the only thing you're asking for? Is that the only reason why you pray? Is to get stuff from God? To make sure that your cup is full? Your quiver is full? Your bank account is full? Your heart is full? Your hands are full? Or is it because of a deep desire to pursue relationship and connection and commitment? I was thinking about this this week. Looking through my whole relational sphere as a dad, as a father, it's the same thing. As a husband, as a friend, as a leader. And then kind of analyzing all the relational networks and connections that are a part of those roles that I get to play. And the sobering reality is there are far too many times where I am operating in fan mode as opposed to friend mode. I'm wanting to get something out of that connection as opposed to contributing to that connection. I'm wanting to receive, I'm wanting to make sure that my cup is full rather than embracing the opportunity that I get to not only receive but give love in those spaces. It's a sobering reality. Are you a fan or a friend of Jesus? Are you a fan or a friend of Jesus? Am I a fan or a friend of Jesus? At the end of the day, that is the most important question that you and I can answer. Are we fans or friends? And only you can answer it. I can't answer it for you. Somebody else can't answer it for you. Your great-grandma who used to pray for you can't answer it for you. You have to answer it for yourself today. It's your choice to be a fan or a friend. I find it mind-bogglingly interesting that of all this massive crowd gathered together to celebrate, in the moment where Jesus felt the most vulnerable, the most raw, the most in need, only four were left with him. Only four from a whole big crowd that could have numbered in the thousands to his last moments, and there were four. See, sometimes we think that that's going to be our reality. We're going to face our most challenging, difficult moment in time, and we're going to be all alone. But we forget that Jesus does not operate like we operate. Jesus is not a fan of anyone. He's willing to be a friend of everyone. He's willing to be a friend of everyone. And all we have to do is say, I want to be your friend. He's like, I'm already there. I love to be your friend. So where do we go with this? Well, I want to encourage you in a couple of ways. Here's some potential options. When you think about how do we apply this to my life today, right now, where we are, when we are. I want you to answer that question for you. Are you a fan or a friend of Jesus? Are you a fan or a friend? Look at your relational history with him. What does it tell you? Have you been in it for you? Or have you been in it for the both of you? Then what I want you to do is I want you to consider looking at your whole relational sphere around you, in your house, your workplace, your school, wherever you might go, your church, and why don't you think through all of the relational connections that you have, which are gifts that you've been given. 
Are they more fan-like connections or are they more friend-like connections? If they're fan-like, you've got a cool opportunity to shift the trajectory of those relationships by asking for forgiveness at times, by thinking differently about those relational opportunities that you have, by, by pursuing more depth in those connections and those relationships. You have an opportunity to shape a whole bunch of different things. But that's up to you and what you want to do and what you want to be known for. A fan or a friend. And in a few moments when we go to a time of prayer, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond however God may be speaking to you in those few ways. There'll be a chance right in the middle of of our prayer for you to pray. If you do not yet know Jesus, to have the opportunity to receive Jesus for the very first time, to become a friend of his, to start that relationship. Maybe you're going to be in a space where you're like, oh man, I've been a friend of Jesus, but I've kind of wavered over the last little bit. You're going to have an opportunity to do some course correction. Or maybe as you're You've been listening. God's been impressing on you. Here's some relationships in your your network that I've given you in your community around you that need to be restored in some way. You can have an opportunity to pray for those and ask God to help you become more friend-like and less fan-like in those spaces and in those moments. So why don't we pray together? Father, I'm so thankful for the opportunity that we have to be focused on what is true. We believe that the truth comes from your story, your word, the truth that is undeniably real. Because when we put it into practice, it not only works, but it multiplies, it grows. It becomes something that we can't control in a beautiful and wonderful thing. God, I confess that there are times in my own life, I have been way too much like a fan and less of a friend. In those moments and in those spaces, I am sorry. Father, I'm fully aware that there may be people tuning in online or here in person who do not yet know you. And so if they are are curious about discovering more about you and just feel this longing Uh, to connect with you for the very first time, I pray that you give them the courage to not only pray these few simple words, but if they're willing to stand right at where they are in this space or wherever they're listening to this and make that physical declaration that they're going to invest in you and let you invest in them. And as they do so, would they have the courage to pray these simple words? Jesus, today, I choose to be your friend. Help me to know what it means to love and live like you. Give me what I need to be the kind of friend that you can use to bless the people around me. Father, I'm fully aware that there'll be some of us who have been tuning in again online or here in person that have felt like we started something with you, but we've deviated. We've taken a a detour in our walk with you and our relationship with you. We've we've uncovered that we're way more like a fan far too often. And so in these next few moments, Lord, if you are speaking this to them, would you give them the courage that they need to not only stand, but to pray 
these simple words. Jesus, there are times when I abandon you and I'm sure. There are times when I think more about me than I think about you. And I'm sorry. God, I need to return to right relationship and intimacy with you. Help me be known for my commitment to following you wherever you lead. And Lord, sometimes we're going to be thinking through, okay, I feel like I'm a friend of Jesus. I feel like we're in a good space. But I'm struggling relationally with some other people. Maybe it's a relative. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a classmate. Somebody that we see day in and day out and we just don't love or don't like. God, would you give us what we need in those spaces to be the friend that you've called us to be? Father, I pray for that group of people that they too would find the courage not only to stand, but to pray these few simple words. Jesus, help me to see people the way that you do. Help me to know what it means to be a friend and less of a fan. So that these people that you love would know that they are loved by the way that I love. Father, I pray that you would bless us and protect us. Make your face shine upon us. Be gracious to us. Would you turn your face towards us and grant us peace? And help us to walk and step with you. We pray this in your name. Amen.